Is becoming a new manager really that hard? Is gossiping at work good for you? Is it okay to take meetings from a salon chair in the middle of the workday? These are the kinds of questions and hot topics we dive into every day on our hit newsletter, Girlboss Daily. What else can you expect? Dream job postings, A-plus career advice, and a few emojis. Because we're fun like that. All delivered right to your inbox. Join 250,000 ambitious women and sign up at girlboss.com newsletter. That's girlboss.com newsletter. Welcome back to Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery, and the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. Today, I'm joined by two friends of mine who you might know, Jillian Harris and Sarah Nicole Landry of The Birds Papaya. These women have built multi-million dollar brands and gained millions of followers because of their unfiltered authenticity. They talk openly about mental health, motherhood, and body image. And believe it or not, I met both of these incredible women via IG. So this is your sign to slide into the DMs of the women that you admire. You might get a new friend or two out of it. We chat about first jobs, the expectations versus reality of being a full-time content creator, and why they continue to create when algorithms and internet trolls are stacked against them. Let's get into it. I am so excited to have this conversation today. I've invited two of my friends, Jillian and Sarah, to join us. How are you both doing? I'm doing great today, actually. We're recording on a Monday. And I don't know, it's like that start of the week. It's nice to sit down and do podcasts. I love Mondays. How about you, Jillian? Yeah, likewise, a sunny day. It was a good weekend. I'm feeling good. I've been prioritizing myself for the first time in like, Five years. So life is, I can't complain about too much today. Catch me later on on Thursday and we'll see what I have to say. Yeah. And I've noticed that shift in you, Jillian. Like I know that you've been making more of an active effort to prioritize yourself and your time. And I love to see it. I think that is something that I've been feeling pretty inspired by. I mean, I can't get aligned with Jillian and her cold plunges, but I love a hot shower. Meditation and all this like time for yourself just feels like such a privilege to have it these days because everything is so stacked. I had a friend who suggested that I start doing audio in the shower so that I have meditated time in the shower because I'm already doing it and I'm already isolated away from my phone, but I could have something going on so that I can dedicate that time. And that just like blew my mind open. So I feel like I'm actually using the time effectively because that's where we're at. And I could say forever that it's the job, it's the work, it's who I am as a human being. If I have something, I'll fill it. And also there's four kids and like a family and a household to run. It's a lot. What I learned is that you can meditate in many different ways. I always assumed that meditation was like sitting on a pillow and breathing deeply and listening to really calming music. But like you can meditate by looking at a candle, looking at fire. So something that I do every Friday, I burn a lot of stuff in my backyard. <laughs> it's like my thing. It's burn shit Fridays. Oh my God. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> no want a burn shit Friday. I'm curious, like, what were you doing before your life changed forever by reality TV? So I was doing restaurant design and also like project management and like business development. So I was always like in this entrepreneurial space and slash design space. And I actually really loved it. I always thought that that was going to be my calling, but I just couldn't get ahead. And I was feeling like I was just busting out of my shell. Like I wanted to do something so exciting and it wasn't happening for me there. So then one day I was like, fuck it. I'm going to try to apply on this TV show and see if something exciting can happen somewhere else. And it just sort of happened. This is so wild. 
Oh my gosh. And I can't wait to explore more about what came from your debut experience. I think you were like the first Canadian bachelorette, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. So for you, Sarah, what were you doing before you became a full-time creator? I was a stay-at-home mom for a decade. So I actually started blogging when my daughters were two and newborn, and I had just been plunked into Ottawa with my ex-husband and felt so disconnected from the world. And I remember finding like Utah mom bloggers. And just for the first time, I was like, oh my God, there's like other people who are moms and at home. And I started blogging and I did that for a long time until I then had three kids, moved back home to my hometown and didn't have anything to do because I had been at home with them. And now that they were all three in school, I started applying for jobs and like nobody really would take me. I couldn't get a job almost anywhere. I went through a divorce and I was living at my parents' house and I'm not even kidding. I'm sitting down for one of the first face-to-face after our split with my ex-husband. And it was sort of this like defining moment where I got this phone call and it was from my old high school friend. And so I'm sitting there looking at my ex-husband and I just sort of looked at him. I was like, I gotta go. I gotta take this call. And I picked up that phone and it was my friend from high school who I'd worked a couple other jobs when we were in high school, Baskin Robbins in the pharmacy. We'd worked a couple jobs together. And she's like, I'm about to go on mat leave. I'm due in a month. We haven't interviewed anybody to replace me. I've recommended you. Would you come in for an interview tomorrow? So I went in for that job interview with a boss who not scolded me, but he sort of was like, why did you leave blogging off of your resume? They were a publishing company. And he was like, your mothering and your blogging are like valued here. And I was like, I didn't go to school. And he's like, neither did I. And so it was a really like great experience. They started me in reception and then I was at the forefront of one of their food blogs. So I ended up working my way up to editor in that position. And then I quit my job and I had like 60,000 followers at the time, I think maybe 80. So when we talk about life, figuring its way out, what you're supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be, it's so fascinating how these little nudges happen along the way. But it's always so rooted in, I was that woman in a living room with two kids and wanting to feel connected to the world. And that's kind of still who I am today. That's wild. And you know what, Sarah, and I would love to talk to other influencers out there. And what was their purpose in getting started? Because most people who start this industry are so impatient. They're like wondering why the money is not coming in. But really, I think for you and I both, it wasn't a desire to make money at first. So it is so, so interesting how this industry has evolved. But it was really a desire for that connection for me as well. Yeah. Sometimes when the money starts to come in, you really have to humble yourself of, I did this for 10 years for free. So if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. You make mistakes along the way for sure. But ultimately landing into a place where you can really feel proud of what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that for me, Jillian, you were like the OG reality TV star to influencer that vein, right? What's interesting is that you've now gone on to build a massive business that's an influencer-led business. is one of the first of its kind. I'm curious for you, Jillian, like what is the hardest part? Well, it's so funny because I don't think it's anything like what people think it is. I really think people think that you wake up and you're like, I'm going to take pictures of myself today and then I'm going to monetize that. And that's basically the extent of it. But ultimately, we have the same employees that any business would have. We have a CEO, we have a CFO, we have project managers, we have EAs, we have office managers, we have HR staff. It is really, truly a business. And so we are essentially a marketing platform, for lack of a better word. And when people don't understand, typically like older folks, when they don't understand, I try to go back to explaining it as if it were like a magazine, right? And so essentially, my business is the same. 
on top of that, the overheads are things like we have an office, we have insurance, there's the website fees. I think our website fees are like thousands of dollars every month. Like it's out of control. You're really trying to balance the business like a business. So I think the hardest part is just like, where is my time best used? And having said that, I've been going through this transformation for about the last year. It's been very emotional for me. And it started with the end of COVID and my mom's illness. I honestly feel like I was about to have a massive breakdown last fall. And I've been trying to get myself into this better place so that I could then make a decision in which direction I'm going to go because it's not sustainable what I was doing before. People say like, how do you do it all? And I was not doing it properly. As your kids get older, they actually need you more. There's sports teams, there's conversations, they need you at an emotional level. I'm saying no to incredible opportunities because I know it's going to take me away from my family. Sarah, I know that there's probably a lot that Jillian has shared that you probably identify with, but I'm curious, like, what are the hardest parts for you building a business in public? It's so interesting because I think the biggest struggle is people don't take it seriously. So you don't really have a lot of people to talk to. It is a very privileged job. And it's also one that has a massive peak and you don't know how long that peak is going to last. So you're building a legacy and you're building lifelong, hopefully, income to sustain what most people would have in a more steady career because it sort of goes straight up and you're just like, okay, how can I create jobs? How can I sustain this? How can I build a legacy brand from this moment in time? Because for some people, it truly is only a moment. That's sort of where I'm at right now is just trying to figure that out. While also, as Jill noted on, I had this core ethos when I quit my job that I would spend half of all my working days in community. So I only have half of what working hours are. So I spend four hours in comments and DMs and emails. And then I go the rest of the time in creative mode to Jill's point as well, scaling back and figuring out priorities. We tried daycare, it didn't work out. So I've got my daughter at home with me two days a week. That sometimes is the biggest blessing. And then I get called away for work stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing so great at this balance thing. And the kids, they need you so much. I spend an average of two hours a day in the car, just driving them. That's Monday through Sunday. Like that is a nonstop. I'm the car with my kids. On top of being comments and DMs, on top of meetings, on top of podcasts, on top of running your household, making meals, organizing their stuff, coordinating. Oh, and what about Shane? And then what about yourself? And then what about you? That's just it. That's just it. So it is a lot to manage on top of managing everything else. And I will be honest, I think that the mental health side of it, because we work such a privileged job, nobody really, not nobody, but most people, Avery, you and I actually just talked about this the other day where everyone thinks they know everything that's going on with you. So they stop checking in. They watch your stories. And so they're like, you must be okay. And when I went through prenatal depression, I realized I didn't want to share about it anymore. It was too hard to talk about. And everyone stopped checking in with me because they assumed I was okay. And as time's gone on, I've had to be very vocal. I just got diagnosed with PMDD, which makes a whole lot of sense. But I've let my friends know what my cycle is because I'm actually asking them to check in on me. I have these really dark, deep thoughts and I almost always quit my job. And that just doesn't impact me. That impacts everybody. That impacts my family. That impacts my employees. It impacts our whole business and impacts the community that's relying on me because of three days a month. I just feel like I'm not worthy of anything. I've had some hard times in life. And I think when you come into anything that's good, or you've come from doing this job for free for so long and now you're getting paid, there's a lot of guilt and a lot of feeling of, the other shoe is going to drop. Everybody's going to hate me. And I don't want to go through that in public. I did a podcast last week with the gentleman who started First Session. So he connects patients with therapists. 
And he just learned a little bit about my industry. And he's like, mind blown. And he's like, I want to see the Netflix series on how this impacts mental health, because this is the first time in history where we are creating industries literally based on us and our personalities and our personal life. And we're creating full on corporations, multi-million dollar corporations that rely on us sharing about our vaginas, our stretch marks, our babies, our clothing, our recipes. It is totally wild. And so oftentimes when I want to escape, I think, well, I can't escape. The business is me. How do I escape from that? And one thing I just want to reflect on is I know that both of you in this conversation have said on numerous occasions, like we're so privileged to do the job that we do. I think that anyone that is employed is privileged. There's a lot of people that don't have access to jobs and the types of careers that like a lot of people in the West have access to. And I I just want to kind of share that. I think that a lot of people have assumptions around like the glam around being an influencer or creator. And I know that it's a very privileged spot to be in. I mean, you're supported by your community, right? Whereas like, I mean, in a corporate setting, you still have people that are like helping you get access to like that money. We have people working at tech, making like $300,000 a year right out of university, right? We don't have those men specifically uh, constantly acknowledging their privilege and access to like mega, mega money. And I mean, also in a capitalist system, we all have to work. So I think that if you found a way to work in a way that's offering you more flexibility and liberation as women, then go for it a hundred percent. And for a long time, a lot of men would control essentially like the way that media companies, which is kind of what you both are, would operate. Now we're actually having women, small business owners build and scale. It's incredible which is why they always use the quotation, we don't have a real job. But there was a tweet I saw years ago that said like anything that a woman champion starts, grows and monetizes will be minimized by society and not taken seriously. And I'm 15 years into it, monetizing for five of them and literally have employees supporting multiple other families. And it's not a real job in quotations. I mean, I get it. I get it from the perception standpoint, but there's just a very different reality. And I think it's important to talk about the reality, not just so people pat us on the back and go, you're right. It is a real job, but just because so many people look up to it and they're like, I would love to do that. And it's really being able to recognize that you're monetizing and creating a media company off of who you are. And the line is so gray between person and brand, and you will be impacted. You will be impacted emotionally, physically, mentally every single day. It's not the same type of real job. And I'm not saying it's like the hardest. I would never claim that at all, but it is something that is deeply been minimized because it is led by majority women. We go through a lot of emotions in one workday. You feel like a success in the morning and a complete failure by the afternoon. That's why we created our Workplace Affirmation Deck, a 50-card deck to help you cope with every kind of day at the office. It's divided by five emotions. When you're feeling unstoppable, when you're craving change, when you're feeling uncertain, when you totally messed up, and when you just can't even. Prop one on your desk, tuck it in a notebook, or even pass one along to a friend who could use it. Get yours today at girlboss.com slash affirmations. That's girlboss.com slash affirmations. You're listening to my conversation with Jillian and Sarah. Next up, we talk about balancing running a business, being a mom, and taking care of yourself. It gets emotional, so you'll want to grab some tissues. Let's get back into it. What advice do you have for influencers that haven't yet made their first hire? 
but are potentially exploring that. Shameless plug, that is why I started the Jilly Academy. I started the Jilly Academy because friends and people in the community were seeing me create this job and like, holy shit, this is so cool. And I want this, even though there's hard parts of it, if anybody wants this career, I want it for anybody that wants it. And there's room for everybody. Because the great thing about influencing is you are creating this little mini TV show, basically, that's about your life and how you intersect it and how you see it. And so it's different for everybody. I follow so many different influencers. Yeah, you can watch two shows at once. People can follow both of us. We're not a threat to each other. When you hire somebody, it feels like you have to hire them forever. Avery will tell me, like, you can start on contract. It doesn't always have to be an employee. And I always told my employees from the very beginning, this can be as little or as big as you want it to be. I had that conversation with Shay 10 years ago in the cafeteria of Whole Foods. I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be. She and I didn't know how to post a blog to save our lives. But now she is the vice president and creative director of this company. And she has driven this company. And we've grown with different employees. Some have come, some have gone. But it is an investment. But with any investment, there should be a return. Hopefully, it can be beneficial to you and your company. But I also think, how is this beneficial to the employee as well? I think that when I first hired, I really didn't know how it was going to work. And I maybe overpitched. And so being able to follow up and like support people long term, I mean, the reality is our overhead is a lot. I have no regrets. I love that everyone gets to make money. But I actually wish that I had consulted HR earlier. For those that don't know, I do use Bloom for consulting and it's helped me make sure that they have a great employee experience. But I'll be honest, at this point in time, I'm terrified to grow because I already feel the weight and the pressure of how am I going to meet that bottom line? And the fact is I hired a lot of backend people. So I am the front end, which means if we need to make more money, I have to push out more. And so this idea of me trying to like take Fridays off to be with my kids is getting harder and harder because I am supporting these other parts of business. I'm full of very small salary and everything else goes into people and investments to sort of hope that we can create long-term jobs for people. And so that's been hard for me to expand because I don't know how to expand and have people help that bottom line when my big stress right now is just meeting our overheads, meeting our office costs, meeting our equipment costs, because I wanted everyone to have the best employee experience. And so I pay a lot of money into making sure that they have classes and menstrual care and benefits. I have no regrets. I guess I just never imagined that I would be because I worked for myself and it was always just me answering for me. And then suddenly when I say no to a ad campaign because I'm burnt out, I'm saying no to income for everybody. And that's the hard part about growth is really wanting to be authentic, wanting to grow in like a good way. And also like trying not to be I don't know. Sometimes I look at myself, I'm like, ugh, you did like 45 links in your stories today. And then I'm also like, we got to pay the bills. I get in my head about it a lot too. And it's hard to, again, probably a lot of like that public perception of like whether or not it's a real job causes me to question myself and whether or not I can support it long-term. That's just me being completely honest and vulnerable with everybody. I never had financial stress until I had employees, if I'm honest. So like, why do you do it? Creating, influencing, you talked about how you got into it and why you got into it, but why do you continue to push and build these businesses and these companies? Why I continue to do it is actually a question I've been asking myself for the last year. So previous to this last year, I was doing it mostly for the team. And my most thing that I am most proud of is the team and how I built this team who was so capable of running my business, of being smart, of being 
strategic. They are just so brilliant. And I love to give them full reign. And I think it mostly is for the team because I just want to be with my kids more. I want to have, I'm starting to cry. I want more time with them. I want more time with my friends. I want to go out for lunch. I want to go to hot yoga. I want to, and I'm such a privilege to work. Like, of course I want to work, but I think I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. I think it's just a global feeling that people just want to exist. I was always a hustle culture girl. I was always that girl boss that would be working till midnight every night. And I don't know if I just burnt out or if I'm, but I think ultimately I just, I want to create something that I can be proud of, that my kids can be proud of, that my employees can be proud of, and that the community, I can support the community. That's essentially why I keep on doing it. And it's fun. I mean, it's fun for the most part, for the most part, but there are things that aren't fun. And so don't we all wake up every day and go like, why am I still doing this? While you're on this train of thought, you used to be that girl boss who would be working until 12 a.m. What does being a girl boss mean to you now? To me, I just feel so empowered since October when I'd really lost myself. I want to be transparent here for anybody that's listening, but my mom wasn't doing well. There were a lot of unknowns in our business. I had babies and then COVID and so was probably drinking too much. I know, Sarah, you've had a great come to Jesus moment with drinking. I was probably drinking too much. I was like defiant. I was like, I don't need to drink water. I don't need to exercise and I don't need to eat vegetables and look at all the things I can still do. But ultimately, every day I looked at myself, my bags were getting bigger. My face was getting puffier. I had anxiety. I wanted to go to bed at 6 p.m. I was irritable. And I'm like, I cannot create that legacy. My day-to-day actions are not meeting up with who I envision to be. And so I did this big transformation. I gave myself six months to do it. And so what I'm most proud of today and what that girl boss means to me today is when I look at my schedule and when I'm sitting down and prioritizing, it starts with me first. It starts with me and the kids. When am I going to get to hot yoga? When am I going to go cold plunge? What are we going to have for dinner? When am I going to go to Costco? When am I going to see my girlfriends? And so to me, that is girl boss now. I get to do that now because I've built where I'm at. But when you're first starting your business and you're first in it, it's hard to grind and take care of yourself. It's not easy. Say yes until you can say no is important. But with you, Sarah, I'm curious, like, why do you do it? I came from being a single mom who didn't really have a lot of income, nor did I have a life outside of my home. And for the beginning of it, before the pandemic, when I was really starting to do this, I got an opportunity to get to know myself. And then I had a baby and it really brought me back into the home and back into these spaces. And I remembered so deeply why I started in the first place. And it was because I wanted to connect with the world when I was stuck in one place. You forget the impact that you could actually have these ripple effects of singular moments of conversation and storytelling have an impact on people's lives. Like, yeah, we can talk about how much money we make or whatever, but like how many people actually went home and let their husbands hug them and touch their stomachs? And how many people went to the beach with their kids? And how many of them said, you know what? Fuck it. I need to do something for me. I need to book a solo trip. That's the stuff that I think keeps me coming back because the last couple of years, and I know Jill knows this, it's been really hard. People have been meaner than I've ever seen. And it gets really hard to stay connected to the why, because it doesn't matter if it's like a hundred people telling you that they're so grateful for you. There's one person that thinks you're the worst person in the world. And I will always want to try and reach them. It's my toxic trait. Totally. Totally. You want to try to like prove them wrong or whatever. I had to delete Facebook for that reason. And yes, as a business person, I need 
constructive criticism. Of course, I need to know, but I have a team for that now. I hired a team for that and they should be strategic enough to figure out what to pull the good from the bad and like, what do we actually need to listen to? But whenever people, let's say they say something mean and then we cry about it or we're upset about it, that response after response is, well, you got into this industry. So I'm like, so wait a second, hold on. Let's talk about this industry. This is an industry that was created by, funded by, and basically motivated by women. They wanted to see us succeed. They were tagging us. They bought the things. They encouraged us. They comment, whatnot. So great. So then you build your momentum and some influencers or people in this industry, they get more and more successful. They're upset that you've gotten too successful. It's not the same because you're not in the same playing field as them anymore. But I shouldn't feel guilty for that. Why do I have to feel bad for that? But ultimately, like you said, no other straight male in his 60s is sitting there in his CEO position, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, feeling guilty and feeling like he needs to give away a portion of his profits to make other people feel more seen. I think ultimately just be a nice person. And if you don't like what somebody's doing and you don't like the content, if you don't like whatever, just unfollow them. Yeah. And honestly, like I think about this all the time, every single time I see a woman have a comeback career in Hollywood and you realize they're coming back from being torn down. They made it too big. Look at Miley Cyrus. Look at any big celebrity that's doing some sort of a comeback and look at the media that happened before they left. It's a tear down and then they have to come back from it and then they praise them for it and then they'll tear them down again. This is across all industries, not just industries like influencer and creator agencies. We've seen this in tech. The woman tech CEO takedown is like a phenomenon that a lot of people have been writing about. But I mean, what you're talking about, Jillian, is tall poppy syndrome. It occurs when people are attacked, resented, disliked, criticized, or cut down because of their achievements and or success. And this is specifically really apparent within women communities and environments, but it does impact women worldwide. And it's a unique type of bias that happens on like the silent continuum that has a huge impact. And it's interesting because I couldn't imagine the fun I would have as a male CEO and how I could run amok and harass people and get away with it. Like I wouldn't want to do any of these things, but it's like, we know men behave in horrific ways behind closed doors and behind their businesses and never are held accountable in the same way that women are. But for you, Sarah, what does success mean to you? Looping back on what I said earlier, that connection to why, but also on the monetary side of things, Nicole Walters, I podcasted with her not long ago, and she's somebody who's made multi-million dollars as a woman running business and teaching other women to do the same. And she said something that deeply impacted me and the way that I perceived money and success. Cause she said, Sarah, money is good with you and money is good with me because we're good people and we'll do good things with it. And I remember that every single time I sort of get that like guilt, just, oh my gosh, like, why do I have these opportunities? Why me? And then I realize how little of it I actually keep for myself and how much I love to actually do with it. I mean, you watch us all open PR boxes, but you don't see how 99.9% of it goes to mamas for mamas. So I receive everything so that it can be a system that goes out. It's safe with me. It's good with me because I'm working on being a good person and pursuing that and to be successful, connected with that why and continuing to pursue how to be a good person with the success ends up being success. It seems so much about us and it's so little about us. And how about you, Jillian? What's your definition of success? There's no denying I've done well financially in my career. I love taking my family on vacation, my extended family, my friends. I love giving back to the community financially. There's so many financial things that I'm proud of, but I realize it's not what makes me happy. So I think success to me recently has just been about that balance. 
finding that balance of really listening to your intuition. And I'm thinking about the Jillian Harris that hustled so hard and the Jillian Harris that's here. All of them are sort of successful to me because I'm telling you, it's not a dollar figure. I've done that. It's the happiness. It's all in the happiness. And I know that's really vague and it's hard, but I'm telling you, it's not in the followers and it's not in the money. And I wish I could say it was because people want that tangible number. And I'll tell you, it's not in your weight. It's not in your size either. All the things that we were told that make women happy are not always it. And so you're right though. That's why it's such an individual thing to ask, like what makes somebody happy because we're all so different. Can I also just mention a caveat to that statement? So it's easy for me to say it's not money that makes you happy because I have reached a place in my life where I'm like, I feel comfortable. So for those of you who are listening, that are saying like, oh, it's easy enough for you to say that. I get it. I totally get it. And yes, it's nice to be at a place where you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming, of course. But when you get to that place where you feel like you can be comfortable, more money, it gives you a certain rush once in a while, but it doesn't ultimately give you that internal happiness. Based on your individual definitions of success, let's start with you, Jillian. Do you feel like you're successful? I do. I do feel like I'm successful, mostly in the eyes of like other people. I know I'm successful because of how people have treated me or talked to me, which I'm so grateful for. You know, when people come up to me in the grocery store or they want to get my picture. That's so cool. And I know my mother-in-law and my mom, and they're so proud of me. So I must be successful. I got this car and this farm and I can buy a first class ticket if I really want to. Like I must be successful, but I do beat myself up because I'm even last night, I'm like kissing the kids constantly because I'm thinking like, did I do a good enough job today? Like, did I spend enough time with them? Was I present enough? And I always think like with my staff, like, oh my gosh, like, am I too all over the place to them? Do they know what their direction is? Do I support them enough with Justin? Am I giving him enough time? He's going to say no right now. He's in the kitchen. He's going to be like, you don't give me enough time. But so yes, I do think I'm successful in the eyes of others, but I'm very hard at myself because I think I could improve so many other things that I'm trying, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So I don't know. Yes and no. <laughs> Yes and no. We get that a lot here when we ask that question. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, Jillian. Lots of tears on this episode. I think too, there's that episode of Friends where Rachel quits her job as a coffee person to like go and work in fashion. That's what she wants to do. And they said, you're never going to do it. You're never going to jump from being this to that if you don't have the fear in you. And I think about that sometimes because I think part of me will never really feel success because I'm still so driven to pursue everything. I feel like if I felt successful in every sense of the word, not just like other people seeing me as successful, I feel like if I felt it, I wonder if I would still do it. I wonder if I would still care to pursue things. I like that I don't know it. I like that I don't feel it. I like that I feel like the same person I was when I was 23 and started all of this. And I'm glad that we get to live in a world that other people will see it as successful and I still don't. Okay, so we could have talked for hours, but I think that before we wrap up, I wanted to do a quick in and out with both of you. So very quickly, in or out, we'll start with you, Jillian, first. Checking emails the moment you wake up. Well, it's out, but I still do it. (laughs) How about you, Sarah? Out. Responding to online hate. Out. Out. Making friends online. And And, uh, Jill... And Avery, actually. We all made friends online. That's why I put that in there. Remote work. In. In. Okay. Failing in public. In. In even when I don't try to. (laughs) Public apologies. In. In. Yes. Okay, cool. Is there anything that you would like to leave folks off with before we wrap up today? 
Thank you for letting us share and speak to some of the more untalked about sides of things. Thanks for giving us space to do so, even when our heart rates goes up a little bit because I know it's going to be perceived beyond what intention is. And Avery, thank you so much for leading this conversation and reminding us of our worth in this space and our success along the way. And Jill, as always, I appreciate you. Love you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having us. And anybody who's listening, questioning where they are in their life cycle or whatever, just be easy on yourself. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know that the Girl Boss community is so appreciative of all this advice and the vulnerability that you both showed up with today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love all of you. Thank you for listening to my chat with Jillian and Sarah. I really love when I get to have friends on the podcast. I feel like we had one of our phone calls and you were right there with us. Come back next week for another episode of Girl Boss Radio. And in the meantime, please rate this episode or leave a comment to let us know what you thought. As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.